Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the authors, the co-authors of Independent Politics, How American Disdain for Parties Leads to Political Inaction. The book was published, published by Cambridge University Press this year. The authors are Samara Klar and Yana Krupp. Krupnikov. Samara Klar, how are you doing today? I am doing very well, thank you. Wonderful. And Yana, yourself, you are also there? Yes, I'm doing great as well. Good. Samara, maybe I can give you the chance to to talk uh, a little bit about yourself and who you are and, and where you've been. So tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor of political science at the School of Government and Public Policy at the University of Arizona. So I live here in Tucson, Arizona. I did my PhD at Northwestern University. And that is where I first met Yana when I was a grad student. Um, and I, I study political psychology, public opinion, and voter behavior. So I'm really interested in how people's political identities and social identities affect the way they express their political preferences. Great. And, and Yana, how about yourself? Um, so I am an assistant professor at Stony Brook University. I got my PhD at the University of Michigan. Before coming to Stony Brook, I was at Northwestern, where Samara said we met each other. Um, I generally work on public opinion, experimental research, and political participation. I study why some people want to take actions and others have absolutely no interest in doing so. Good. And so, so let's talk about your, your really interesting book. Um, Samara, the, the book is in some ways about the misperceptions of what an independent voter is. And, and before we get to your argument, uh, what is the conventional view of independent voters that pundits and many political science scientists believe. Sure. Well, what's sort of interesting, at least to, to me and to Yana, is that there are two simultaneous conventional beliefs that actually don't really mesh quite well with each other. Political scientists for decades now have seen independence as largely politically inconsequential. And that's because independent voters tend to support the same party year after year. They tend to have very strong secret preferences for one of the two parties. And so when it comes to voting behavior, they don't really look all that different from Democrats or Republicans. So the conventional wisdom for political scientists is that independents are sort of secret partisans who don't make all that much of a difference for any given election. Now, the convention, conventional wisdom for the media, it really couldn't be any more different. For media pundits, independents are swing voters. They're undecided voters. They're this very exciting, uncaptured block of the electorate. So for media, the independent voters are almost a part of the voting bloc. So we have these two very conflicting views of independence. So Yana and I really show in this book why both of these views are are wrong. And what we show is that independents are actually are very different from what political scientists and pundits both believe. And so, so Yana, maybe you can give us a little bit of that argument if, if the, the conventional wisdom isn't quite right or, or maybe very wrong. What's the central argument? Uh, about why a voter might call themselves an independent? So our goal is basically to step back from this push and pull of they're important, they aren't important, and to ask sort of a a different question, which is, all right, 
Um, if we know they aren't real partisans, why is it that about 40 percent of people, uniform, you know, routinely won't tell us what party they are? And because we begin with this question, we have this different argument. And the argument is essentially that people are embarrassed to state that they are part of a party, even though they have views that are consistent uh, with a certain party, even though they prefer candidates of a certain party, they're embarrassed to state that they're a part of that organization. And that's incredibly consequential because it's more than just being embarrassed to say that you um, aren't a Democrat or Republican on a survey. It's that people are refusing to take political actions that might identify them as being part of a party. And that matters a ton for the political process. It matters a ton for the type of voice that people have in politics. And the other idea that emerges from this point is that because people are embarrassed to be part of a party, they are embarrassed to promote the party to others. And when you're embarrassed to promote your party to others, it affects how the party is going to be perceived overall. So this dissatisfaction, this embarrassment with partisanship spreads to a point where it becomes incredibly consequential for the two political parties. Yeah, so Samari, you got, you two are arguing that, that voters view this party, affili- party affiliation as, as negative and even oppressive. And, and as Yana suggests, this is not a small claim, given that so much of what we know about politics is, is through a lens of American party politics. So does, does being independent, claiming to be an independent, mean you don't feel American or you don't feel patriotic? How does this relate to these other ideas we have about, about uh, political identity? Sure. I think that what drives the... What drives the motivation to say you're independent from what Jan and I have seen through our experiments and our surveys is this refusal to be part of such a negative group, to this sort of disdain for the negativity, the aggression, the combativeness. And it's really no surprise that Americans have this perception of parties, because when you look at media coverage, it is disproportionately negative. And the media are not making this up. When you look at political rhetoric itself, it's disproportionately negative. We did a content analysis of presidential debate rhetoric, and we find that the percentage of phrases candidates use that convey insurmountable conflict have dramatically increased over the past decade. So candidates themselves are using more negative language. The media are disproportionately focusing on that negativity. And the motivation to say, I'm not part of this, I'm not negative, I am not stubborn and aggressive, that from what we found in our research is what motivates people to then say, I'm an independent. I'm not part of these negative organizations. Yana, would you tell us a little bit more about, about how you discovered these things? This is, these are um, uh, a topic that has been studied before, but you bring some uh, methodological innovation, some interesting approaches to collecting your data and doing your analysis. Would you kind of lay out a couple of the different ways that you went about this in addition to the content analysis that we just heard about? Yeah, so the book um, it comp- is comprised of a number of experiments. Some of the experiments we borrow from actually very classic studies in psychology. So we begin with something that people call the fake good, fake bad studies, which um, have been used to discover the fact that questions that ask about race have a lot of um, kind of social desirability effects to them. And in the fake, fake good, fake bad study, for example, you just ask people, answer this question in a way that makes the best impression or answer this question in a way that makes the worst impression. And so what we end up finding is that people um, pick independent when they want to make the best impression. They pick strong partisan when they want to make the worst impression. 
Um, our other studies um, combine um, experiments that the experimental context, I should say, with um, taking real political actions. If we want to study political actions, we have to see, observe people actually taking them. So in one of our studies, we offer people a sticker just as a thank you for participation. But then we observe which sticker they take. Do they take a partisan sticker or independent sticker? We observe if they display it or if they just hide it. So it really allows us to translate the experimental lab into the real world and see if people are taking action. Um, we also use some survey data just to see what happens um, outside the experimental context. And then we also combine a lot of studies that ask people to, to think of themselves in different, in different contexts, as if they're in different neighborhoods, um, as if they're looking at different people. We rely on some of the excellent research uh, that psychologists have done with creating these um, amazing computer-generated faces that they control and create to produce, to produce certain levels of attractiveness or competence. And we, for example, show with these faces that people find independence to be more attractive and more competent. So really, we are trying to translate uh, the work that's out there for our specific area of research, but also for our media, which is the Internet. Right. So, for example, we have people search for images online, um, which is a way of getting at what people picture when they think of parties, but capitalizing on the fact that they're taking our study over the Internet. So, Samar, what does this have to do? I wonder if you can make the connection between these these preferences to claim independence and, and ideology, um, because it, it seems like this is this is part of what's going on is is the, the a, a connection to an ideology, but a distance from from a label. What's the crosswalk for an independence? How are independents thinking about their their beliefs? Are they are they thinking about them in, in different ways than strong partisans or or their ideological beliefs? Uh, uh, reflected in similar ways to their their partisan stance. Sure, yeah, that's a, a complicated but a really great question. One of the misconceptions about independence is that they are ideologically moderate, and we know that that's simply not the case. Uh, independents can be very liberal; they can be very conservative. Some of them have a mixture of both liberal and conservative ideological positions. And of course, there are some independents that are truly moderate, but there is no there's no ideological connection. In fact, one of the things we find about independents is that as a group, they're not terribly cohesive, nor do they look all that different from Democrats or, or Republicans. So ideologically, it's, there's nothing that, that makes somebody become an independent due to their ideological beliefs. Now, when it comes to their connection to the parties, you know, I found in, in earlier work that I've done that independence might not be as motivated by the extremity of their ideology um, in, when it comes to political engagement. But again, what's driving them to say they're independent is not ideological. It has to do with what we call or what psychologists refer to as self-monitoring. And that's the desire to want to make a good impression on others. Self-monitoring is really a, a key in, in our book because we show that those individuals who care very much about making a good impression on others are most likely to say they're independent. They're most likely to engage in the behaviors that independents tend to behave in. Those who care less about making a good impression on others are much more likely to admit that they are, in fact, strong partisans. So it's actually these psychological traits, not ideological, that tend to drive the behaviors we're looking at. Donna, would you talk a little bit about the studies you did on compromise and, and what you discovered about how independence and, and partisan compromise 
interacts with each other. Yeah, we wanted to um, connect the work we were doing to implications that uh, could be held for parties. And there seemed to be this argument that the growth of independence might lead parties to engage in more compromise and more bipartisanship in Congress. So instead of standing their ground, they might come together and pass these greater bipartisan bills. Um, and while this is a really nice idea and would be a good positive consequence of the rise of independence, in our studies, we found that this was actually, it, it was not at all close to the truth. Um, people and independence, people who said they're independents, really like the idea of compromise in the abstract. But we quickly learned that once we suggest that in a compromise, the party that they prefer, the party that they secretly prefer, has to give something up, they immediately backed away from the idea of compromise, right? They immediately um, didn't like it. They immediately didn't feel that compromise was important. They immediately didn't feel that uh, the party should compromise. And they actually disliked the party more when that party compromised than when that party stood their ground and created legislative gridlock. And this stuff. Go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Sure. No, continue. Uh, and this sort of goes uh, with some research that, for example, Laurel Harbridge has done on compromise. Uh, but it sort of suggests that these independents are kind of too embarrassed to state their party, but they still very much want the party to fight for them. They don't want the party to compromise. Now, Samara, I just find this so interesting. And we've been think we've been talking about this mainly from the perspective of the voter. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if you could put on your your party consultant hat for a second. Oh, no. And and interpret this from you choose the party. But but think about how you would recommend to a party official with if your finding is uh, talking about the party is going to uh, embarrass or or put off your your potential recruits. How would you talk to people who are so who has a who are a considerably large group uh, who, who um, you know, would seem to be turned off by the very appeal that, that you're trying to make? Um, how do parties respond to this, this finding of yours? Yeah, this is a question that Jan and I have really spent a lot of time thinking over and something we've really struggled with. And that is, well, what can be done? I mean, the implication that we have drawn is really sort of a depressing finding, and that's that Americans are embarrassed of their parties, and as a result, they're not engaging in the kind of grassroots actions that really sustain democracy. So what can be done to improve the situation? Now, the most obvious answer would be that parties really need to start talking in a language that people relate to, and that's not aggression, and it's not combativeness. It, you know, although we, we find, as Yana said, that people want their, their, partisan, their candidates to stick by their principles, we also find that people appear to want that to be done in a civil and respectful way. Now, in the current state of the election, for example, I would not be surprised to see independence surge even more than what we've already seen, because there is so much negativity in ways that people just cannot relate to. So as a political consultant, I mean, maybe this wouldn't be the most lucrative approach, but mm -hmm. I think that parties really need to start to sacrifice some of these short-term gains and fear-mongering for the long-term gains and making people want to actually associate with that party. And Yana, maybe sort of in, in closing, what does this mean for for candidates who who want to run as independent candidates or or somebody who wants to affiliate with a independent party? Is this a strategy that that makes sense to to detach yourself in that extreme a way, or is this can you can a candidate get away with doing that in just rhetorical terms? Is is the is the label 
something that a, a candidate who might enter into the presidential uh, campaign in the next couple of weeks, and there may be people considering that, is is the label so strong that um, that severing that link would would prove to be a, a successful political strategy? I wouldn't go for the independent label strategy. I mean, I'm not going to definitively say no, because watch there be an independent candidate comes <laughs> right. in who blows everyone out of the water. Um, but I would say that I think candidates can get a ton of mileage from identifying with a party, but painting themselves as a non-establishment candidate. Um, so sort of projecting the fact that they're not like the other partisans. Uh, Samara and I wrote this piece for the Washington Post a little while back, and Samara had this great line that non-establishment candidates are sort of the equivalent of going to an all-inclusive resort where mm-hmm. you still have the comfort of going to to an all-inclusive resort, which is your party, but you get some sort of feeling that you're doing something exciting because it's an exotic locale. And I think that's kind of the thing that people want. Um, I think they want to feel like they're sticking it to their party, but they don't exactly want to switch partisans or do anything too crazy. And so if I were putting on a consultant hat here, I would suggest that you can get a lot of mileage from um, presenting oneself as not a typical Republican or not a typical Democrat, but rather as a non-establishment kind of outside of the party constraint to do what you will kind of candidate. And and finally, Samara, is is. Uh, is there are there other factors that relate to this is 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 gender or race or age at all related to these feelings uh the older age courts who have uh not voted just once or twice or three times for one party or the other but voted over a lifetime do they break in the same kind of ways is the, is there an important divide here that we might pay attention to yeah you know we really tried to find demographic differences between independents and partisans, and they're just not there. You know, in some in some ways, Demo- uh, independents look a lot like Republicans, and in other ways, they look a lot like Democrats. So it's not as though a particular segment of the electorate is more likely to engage in the, these behaviors. Now, it is true that you know some people are more likely to want to make a good impression on others. Uh, some psychologists have found that young younger cohorts tend to be more concerned with making a good impression as opposed to older cohorts. So you might find a bit of a tendency for younger voters to split from the party more than older voters. But this is really a phenomenon that seems to to spread across all demographic cleavages. Yeah, it's such an interesting uh, topic and such interesting findings. The book, again, is Independent Politics, How American Disdain for Parties Leads to Political Inaction. The book is published by Cambridge University in 2016 and available widely Samara and Yana, thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Heath. Thank you for having us.